You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. This is chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to go through verse 15. This is God's word. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whoa. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, use your word to change us to bring life into us so that we might live for you and live the life that you have called us to live. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So I wanted to start off with a question. I think it's appropriate considering the text I just read and considering the holiday that we just experienced this last week of Independence Day. What is freedom? Now don't answer. Don't shout out. But what is freedom? And I want you to think about this. And don't just shout out or, you know, rattle off in your brain the, the, the answer you think it should be. But really, in your heart, what do you think freedom is? And I want you to think about a few words that describe in your mind what you, how you feel freedom is, should be. Uh, and you can write it down. Sometimes that's helpful. Because definitions are important. If we're going to talk about something, we better all be on the same page and understand what we're talking about when we talk about something. So specifically this idea of freedom, it's, it's a tricky thing. It's hard to fully understand because I think we all have ideas about what freedom is or should be or what it isn't. And sometimes we like to think of freedom as much looser than it actually is. I think we like to think of freedom as just being able to do whatever we want whenever we want. Right? Our kids, as they get older, they want freedom. They want more and more freedom. And more and more freedom means what? Less and less of me. Less and less of mom. More and more of the privileges of staying late and eating whatever they want and car keys and, you know, whatever that is. That to them is freedom. But is that really what what freedom is. We want to think of freedom as less things restraining us. But is that freedom? Is freedom really the absence 
of restraint, nothing holding us down, being able to do whatever we want? Or is freedom maybe a, a, a little more nuanced than that, a, a little more complicated? Can we be more free with restraints put on us? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today to answer that question. Because if you think of different environments that, where we exercise freedom, we actually get more freedom by more restraint. So we just sang, we had great worship service this morning, we're singing songs, we're, music is being played, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and the reason why we get to enjoy such beauty in that kind of art form is because the people up on stage are... <laughs> being restrained by, a, by certain rules, by certain sets of principles, certain things that are keeping them from just doing whatever they wanted to do. If we just said, guys, have at it. Do whatever you want to do up there. We'll follow along. We'll figure it out. It would be a nightmare. It would be the least free environment. It, well, it, you might consider it free, but it would, it would sound terrible. It would not be pleasant. It would, it, it, all of us would be holding our ears because it would be so difficult. No, we get to experience something beautiful by there being helpful restraint in there. And we could use a lot of examples for that. Our country is founded on, on these amazing principles of freedom. And whether, regardless of you know, how you see that and how you see the state of our nation now, there, there is some undeniable elements to this. We are a free country, but we're free not because we just get to do whatever we want to do. That's not freedom. That's anarchy. That's a problem. See, we're free and even more free because of certain laws that exist. There's certain things that restrain evil in our society, and we get to experience a whole new level of freedom because of that. And so those restraints allow us to live a more free life. And so freedom, and so Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, he's, he's wonderful, he, he has kind of set this up to say freedom is not, it's not the absence of restraints, it's actually finding the right restraints. Where we can be the most free when the right restraints are put on us. See, and this is what we're talking about today, we're talking about freedom. Because if you've been following our study over the last two months as we've been going through this book of Galatians, there should be a question that's kind of hovering over us because we have been hitting hard, hard, hard grace. And it's not about what you do. It's about what God has done. I mean, this is the message of the gospel. And the more that I hammer that home, the more the question should start building in us, well, does it matter at all what I do? Does it matter how I live? Does it matter? Does anything I do matter? Does God care how I live? Does God care how I live my life? See, Paul has worked hard up to this point. He is driving home this gospel message because the church needed it so badly. That our relationship with God is not dependent on how much or how little we do. That God is gracious over us. That he loves us. That what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for all that we need. And grace is un, 
earned favor from God, and we, we experience that through faith. It's not about the law. It's not about performance. It's not about how good we do. We, 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 we talked about righteousness and this idea of being right with God, rightness. And the idea of rightness is you, you, you want electricity in your house. Okay, the FPNL is going to give you that electricity if you pay the bill every month. When you pay that bill, you are right. When you don't pay that bill, you are wrong, and they will not like you or give you what you want unless you pay that bill, and you pay it every month, and you get what you need to survive, and everything's great with FPNL. And we start to think about our relationship with God like that, that if we just pay our bill, God's going to do what we need him to do, and Paul is going out of his way, and I've been going out of my way to show you and to tell you that that is not how we relate to God, that our rightness with God is not about paying a bill because we can't. We can't pay the bill. The debt is too big. The bill is too big. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough goodness. We don't have enough in us to pay that bill to where God would say, okay, now I'll give you what you need. And this is where freedom comes into play. Because the Bible talks about our relationship with God. If apart from God, apart from God doing something in our lives, we are slaves. We are enslaved. And we don't like to use that word for a couple of reasons. One, because we live in America and America is the land of the free and we are free. And why do I need to talk about God uh, freeing us when I'm born into a free country? I can see that maybe for those who are in other countries who don't experience freedom. And we don't, we don't like that. We don't like to talk about slavery for that reason, and because we just don't have a great history in our country with slavery. It is, was a horrible thing that happened in our country, and so just that, that word alone is troubling, and yet the Bible uses it, and we need to understand that the Bible's talking about something bigger, different than our conception of slavery. See, the Bible says that we're all slaves to sin. That the slavery that we experience is not something easily spotted. It's not the ownership of someone else. It's, not, it's, it's deeper. It's internal. There is something going on inside of us apart from God that we cannot deal with on our own. That God has to come in and he has to help us. He has to free us. We were watching the other night. Um, kids wanted to watch a movie and some of my kids haven't seen the first Thor movie, which is crazy how old it is now. There's been 4,000 Marvel movies since then, and they all intertwine, but this was like one of the first ones, and so we're watching it, and it's a lot of fun, um, and I, I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is at the, towards the end where Thor and his brother Loki are fighting. You know, it's this big battle. They're both super powerful, and you know, Thor manages to knock his brother down. Loki's on the floor, and Loki's got a lot of powers, and he's, he's you know, he's a big deal. And but Thor comes over with the hammer and all he does is just rest the hammer on Loki's chest because we all know that no one can pick up Thor's hammer except for Thor ish that changes later on in, in, the, you know, in the Marvel Universe but we don't have to worry about that so Thor, Loki can't pick up the hammer so he just places the hammer right on Loki's chest and Loki can't get up as powerful as he is he just sits there while the hammer holds him down into place and it's just it's such a picture of our lives without God, we are, we are trapped. We are underneath the power of sin. 
And only God can get us out. Only God can free us. And so that, this is the anthem of the book of Galatians where Paul is just screaming out over and over again, Christ has set you free. You are free in Christ. And verse 1 that we read here is kind of a summary of the book up to this point. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. No, you can take that off. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's a big repetition of words. It's, it's freedom twice in this one spot. Freedom where he says it's not just, it's the why he set you free. Freedom is why we were set free and it's also how we're to live. Christ set us free to live not just to be free once, but to live in continual freedom. And so if all of that's true, if this is what God has done, if, if God has, has set us free, and it's all by grace, and what I do doesn't take away or add to my standing with God, then the question we have to ask, and hopefully swirls around in your head, is does it matter what I do? Does it matter how I live? And Paul finally gets to that in our, in our passage. He answers the question, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But see, Paul, and this is really important, with, with everything that we want to do in our Christian life, and really this is a principle just in life for a lot of areas, we need foundations first. We need to understand the, the bottom line, the root, the basic, before we start building onto it. And so that's what Paul has done. He has built this foundation of grace, and he says, this is who you are. Now I'm going to tell you what how you live in that, how, what you're to do. First who you are, now what you do. And that's kind of the rest of our time through Galatians. It's going to be a little bit more of that, a little bit more practical in nature. But first we have to understand who we are, then we understand what we do. And so what I want to do is I want to expand our understanding of freedom based on the Bible I want to challenge our understanding of freedom, that God has set us free from something in order for us to be something. He has set us free from the law. He set us free from works, from this constant effort of trying to earn favor with God so that we would be free to obey God. We're free from the law and free to obey So we're going to just look at kind of three principles that I think we pull out from the text here, okay? Three ideas about freedom. We're going to look at the fight, the flesh, and what I'm calling the flip, okay? And you'll understand the fight, the flesh, and the flip. So let's jump right in, okay? So the fight. If we look at verse 1, when we understand verse 1, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying this. Freedom is a fight. Freedom is a fight. Look at the words that he uses. I've highlighted them here. Stand firm. Don't submit. These are fighting words. 
These are words that indicate action. I mean, when we talk about standing firm, when you want to stand firm, it means you're, you're ready for action. Your, your feet are spread apart a little bit. Your, your knees are bent. You're ready. If someone's going to run into you, you're ready to handle that. It's, it's, a, it's a battle position. And going a step further, and he says, don't submit. Don't give in, right? Do you understand that word, submit? I'm a fan of combat sports, of, you know, martial arts, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, some of those MMA, I, I really enjoy that, I enjoy watching it, and one of the, the goals when you're engaged in that kind of a battle is to get the other person to submit. You, you make things very uncomfortable for that person, and eventually they say, I don't want to do this anymore, and they tap twice, or they scream and say, please stop. That's, that's what it means to submit, and Paul is using these words, he's saying, look, you, this is a fight, this is a battle. Holding on to freedom is a fight. And hopefully you're asking the right questions in your head and saying, well, Adam, I thought you said freedom's a gift. It's something God has done. Now you're saying it's a fight, something I do. Well, yeah, this is, this is part of the, the Christian life. There is this constant tension between what God does and what God has done and what he is calling us to do. And when we talk about freedom, we can talk, look at it in kind of two ways, that God has set us free in salvation. He has released us from the power of sin, being trapped underneath the hammer, right, of Thor. Like that's, that's the first freedom we experience, and that is all God. We can't do anything to do that. That is something he does. But then he says, I, I've called you now to live in freedom. The everyday life that he wants to set us free from trying to perform our way through life. And that's where we engage in the fight because every day we wake up in that battle. We wake up in that battle saying, I have to do this and this today in order to be, in order to succeed, in order to be loved, in order to be valued, in order to be accepted. We're constantly fighting against slipping back into that kind of what the Bible calls slavery. And so what it is, is we're tempted to put our hope in other things. Like God has saved us. He's released us from that. And now we're thinking we have to do certain things in order for him to stay with us. So yes, he's good, but I have to add to it in order to, for things to be right. I need to find happiness. I need to find freedom by adding to what Jesus has done. If I could only have this, then things would be better. And if you find yourself saying those things, then it's, it's an easy identifying mark to say, okay, this is becoming a problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I got God. It's, he always helps me. He's got my back. I post lots of things on, about, about, from, you know, on Facebook, and he, everybody knows I'm a Christian. But man, if I just had a little bit more money, I know, really, things would be so much better. If I could just look a little bit different, if I could just have a better spouse, if I could just have a spouse, if I could just have a child, if I could get rid of my children, if I could. <laughs> Whenever we start adding to Jesus, we are actually turning away from him and we're looking for something else to, to set us free. And Paul, he makes it clear. He, he gives us this image. He says, you're, you're putting on a yoke of slavery when you're doing that. 
the yoke was a device, I'm no farmer, but <clears throat> from what I understand, <laughs> you know, a device that goes on the, the cow, the ox, and this is what you would use to help control where this thing goes. And he says, it, when, you, when you turn from me, you're actually putting on a, a controlled device that the slavery, which is slavery, and, and you're the those things are going to control you. The money, the beauty, the wh whatever it is, that is going to start steering you and, and turning you where it wants to go. And you have to, why would you want that? He keeps asking. Why do you want to go back to that? Jesus said, I actually also have a yoke, but my yoke is easy. My yoke is light. You need to put on my yoke and you need to get, you need to put your trust in me so that the, the bad yoke can go off and I can give you the, the good yoke. And so Paul picks up on that language and he says, you're, you're turning from Jesus to put back the heavy, terrible yoke. And we become slaves again. One of, one of our favorite shows from a while back, we used to watch um, The Biggest Loser. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that. It was, it was a great show. Uh, we, we enjoyed, it was people's transformations, right? So people who wanted to lose a lot of weight, they needed to lose a lot of weight, they go on the show. And I know there's all kinds of, you know, it's, it's, it's a reality show, so take Take it with a grain of salt. But <clears throat> what they would do is they would lose tons of weight throughout the 12 weeks it was on, and it would slowly eliminate down to, you know, one biggest loser. And one of the last things they would do on that show for the remaining contestants is they would put a challenge before them where they had to carry all the weight that they had lost. So if they lost 150 pounds, they had to go do a challenge with 150 pounds back on their body. They have just experienced this, the amazing relief of losing all this weight, and now they had to put it back on and walk and live and like run up hills and do these challenges with all this weight back on their bodies. And they just, you just see it in them, and they, they realize, like, I can't believe I lived like this. And slowly, as they would complete the challenges, they get to take a little bit of weight off and a little more weight off, and they would slowly unload all that weight again to, to get to where they are now, and they just, you could see how much they appreciated what they've been set free from. No one wants to go back to putting all that on your shoulders, on your back, carrying that around, carrying that load. And that's what Paul is saying. And so he's saying, you have to fight for this. You have to fight against the slavery that consistently wants to, to come back and say, listen, yeah, we know Jesus is good, but you really need this. He says, stand firm. Don't submit. Don't let your guard down. Because that other yoke is waiting and it wants you back. That's the fight, and it's a fight that we all engage in, and <clears throat> it's a fight with the flesh, <laughs> because that's, that's the second part here. We jump to verse 13. Paul says, look, you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You can put up that slide, verse 13. You see? He's like, you were called to freedom, only don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. This is where Paul gets very clear about our works. He, he said, freedom doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want to do. And we got to teach our kids that, and we got to teach ourselves that. That freedom is not just about doing whatever it is that we want to do. Restrictions are important. God, God tells us how to live. He tells us 
how to live the most free life. And he says, don't, don't use your freedom in, a, in an inappropriate way. He calls it the flesh. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh, remember, is, if we could just give a simple definition, it's, it's human cravings. <clears throat> it's the things that we just want, that our, our bellies want, that our hearts just want, and they are usually opposed to God. He says, you're free, it's amazing, but don't use that as an excuse to abuse that freedom. And see, this is where freedom can be misunderstood, where we say, okay, we're free, it doesn't, God has said it's free, it doesn't matter what I do, God will never love me less or more than he does right now, and if I do this, it's not going to add to it, it's not going to take away, so it doesn't matter how I live, it doesn't matter what I do. Well, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. God what we do matters to God. God has told us what he wants, what it looks like to obey him. He's told us about sin. And remember, sin are, are the things that are opposed to God. Paul says it a different way in, in the book of Romans. In chapter 6, verse 15, he says, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, by no means. He says, no. Paul makes it clear that we have been set free, but we have not been set free so that we can sin. <clears throat> and sin is not a popular word. People don't want to think of our lives in terms of sinning or not sinning, that there's really not a good or bad way to live. It's just the way you want to live, and you can choose that way, and no one should say otherwise. But the Bible's pretty clear that there are, there are things that God does not condone he doesn't want for you and so how do we reconcile this tension of we're free yet God cares about what we do and it comes down to motivation why we do what we do why we do right or why we do wrong. See, there is a gospel motivation for doing right, for, for obeying God. If we are relying on our good works to get us something from God, then, then we're in trouble. We're off. But when we realize how amazing God is, when we realize all that he has done for us, and we, uh, and we see that and we soak in it and we are going, I, I can't believe that God would love me. Now, our motivation changes because now we, we want to honor God. We want to serve him. We want to live for him. We want to do what we can to, to honor him with our lives. Do you see the difference? See, <clears throat> the wrong way to live is I do good so that I can get something back from God. The right way to live is I'm, I do good because God is good and he has given me good. See, there's gospel motivation and there's anti-gospel motivation. See, gospel motivation is God love. God love is the center. The opposite is self-love. And that's what Paul's using the term the flesh. It's like, I love me, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get what I want. And we don't see it this way, but we, we look at God as just a way to get stuff. <clears throat> and that's when we, we miss it. 
When we rely on our works, we're actually saying, God, all right, I'm going to do this so that you will act a certain way towards me. And that's off. We're using him. But once we understand grace and we understand his love for us, we, we love him and we see the beauty of honoring him and serving him and we're drawn to do good, not out of duty, but out of affection and love. What we do proves what we love. And that's a truth that we just, we can hang on to. And there's so many applications for that. What we do proves what we love. Like, look at your life. Look at the things that you do. And it will, it will give an indication as to what you really love. <clears throat> so if money is what you really love, your, your bank account, your, your spending, your systems that you put in place in your life, how much you work, how little you work, like all those things will, will prove it. If God is what you love, then your life will look a certain way as, as, as you shape your life around what he wants for you. You're here on a Sunday morning, like this is great, this is what God wants for you. So I'm preaching to the choir. This is a piece of that. How you view what we just talked about with Ema, how you view some of the things that we're going to be doing and, and some of the efforts that we are going to push you towards in terms of reaching out into this community. That is going to either resonate in you and be like, yes, I love God and I want to be a part of that. Or it's going to be like, eh, it's okay, but I did my church thing and I, I feel good about myself now, so we're, I'll, uh, we'll move on. See, we all have to wrestle through this. And I'm out of time, so I'm just going to jump real quick to the end and say this, because it, it fits right in. This is the flip, all right? So the flesh is everything that says, I, I want for me. And freedom, godly gospel freedom, flips everything upside down and says this, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but what? but through love, serve one another. So if you're looking for, okay, Adam, you're telling me God cares about what I do and how I do it, then tell me exactly what he wants me to do. Well, that, that, that's a problem because there's a lot of those things and that gets too easy. We're not just creating a checklist. Okay, do not do this, do this, don't do this. No, he just gets real and broad and says, look, you really want to understand what freedom is? I am freeing you from slavery and I am freeing you so that you can do this serve one another. You're like, great, Adam, how do I do that? Well, this is just part of the journey here, okay? We're going to figure that out because we're going to keep talking about this. How are we going to serve one another? We've given you a ministry opportunity here. This is Ema. This is a, an amazing ministry. This is a, a way for you to get out of your bubble and your comfort zone and saying, here is a ministry I can serve, I can be a part of. There's so many other things that we can do, but the bottom line is, if you love God, then that love is going to be pushed out towards other people. What you love, what you do, proves what you love. And if your life is just constantly, the, the dialogue in your head is constantly, okay, I'm, I, I, how am I going to take that next step forward in life? How am I going to get here? How am I going to do this? If if you are constantly at the center of all your thoughts and 
plans and desires, then what's going to happen? You have become the center of the universe and everything. You're turning away from God and you're putting yourself at the center. And there's the fight. And so God says, I've set you free. Now that you're free, love other people and serve them. Serving is hard. It usually means you don't get what you want right in that moment, but you're giving someone else what they need. It means you are denying yourself something so that others may prosper. Jesus said this, no greater love has someone than he lays down his life for his friends. That's what God has called us to do. And I don't have the specifics for you on how you can do that. But I can leave it out there and leave it for you to think and pray. And where he says, look, the law is fulfilled in one word. It's more than a word, but it's, you know, it's a one series of words. You love your neighbor as yourself. So you think, as much as you love you and as much as I love me, now I'm taking that energy and I am pushing it into how am I going to love other people? So if you're married, it's going to start at home. It's going to start with your wife, your husband, your kids, your family. It's going, to st- it's going to be in your workplace. It's going to be in your church. It's going to be in every area of your life. There are going to be people God puts in front of you who he is giving you to serve. And that is the challenge for us. God has set us free from self-love and freed us to love outward and to love others. Church, let's stand together. I want to just say this as as we close in, in prayer. Freedom is not the absence of restraint or constraint. It's finding the right ones. And Jesus calls us out from slavery to sin and into a relationship with him where he says he is your master. We all have a master. The question is who, who's your master? Who are you giving your life to? Who is the one that you are giving yourself to serve. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you, if, you don't, if you haven't experienced that first step of freedom where he has freed you from that, then I would encourage you to, to call out to him and say, God, I need you. I trust you. I'm asking you to save me. Let's pray, church. God, we all serve something. We all have a master. The difference is which master, and you are the perfect master. We need you, God. We come to you, God, and say, would you free us again from the slavery we find in self-love in constantly going back into the yoke 
that's heavy and hard. So God, I pray that we would, we would run to you. We would run to you like never before. We would see your command to love others, to serve others, and that you would help us, God, to do this in a way that challenges us, that's uncomfortable, and we would see this week just opportunities to serve you and to love others. For those that don't know you, God, that you would call them now, that you would save them, that you would, you would bring them into a relationship with you. God, we need you. We need you more than ever. We pray that you would meet us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.